Good morning. You know, life is a cycle, or maybe better put, it is a series of cycles that take place throughout our life here on this earth. If you were to step back and to look at your life in a single day, then this cycle would be invisible. But if you were to look back over a lifetime at the events that occurred, then this cycle would be crystal clear. You look back over this cycle and you'll see God at work through time and events accomplishing His will and you'll see how that intersects with your life. Sometimes there'll be some mountaintop days. Sometimes there'll be some profoundly low valleys. And most of those days are in that glory in between, those ordinary plain days. No one ever experienced the extremity of this cycle like a man that we just read about in Job chapter 1. He is introduced to us as a man from the land of Uz whose name was Job. He was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. When we look at his life on the whole, we see that God blessed him. We see that Satan baited him. That his wife belittled him and his friends berated him. And yet Job buoyed himself up on his faith in the raging waters of suffering. He goes through tragedy, and yet he triumphs over that. Of all the value that we get from reading the account of this ancient patriarch named Job, I think he allows us to look and to see a window, maybe in some small way, in the cycles that occur in our life. We can call them the cycles of suffering. Because as Job himself will say in Job 14 and verse 1, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of troubles. I think I can say without fear of contradiction that all of us are somewhere in the cycle that we're going to look at this morning. I'd like for us to look at it just so briefly this morning. And in that cycle of suffering, see if we can't be encouraged not only by the example of Job, but by what Scripture tells us we can do when faced with the trials and the difficulties of life. First of all, as we examine Job, we see that the first part of this cycle is the order phase. And really, this precedes the suffering that occurs in this book. This order is the status quo. It is the calm before the storms come. And what helps us to do as we examine this is to see where Job is in this particular phase of his life. To realize that character is built in the order phase. When we look at Job's character, we see that there are four fundamental traits that describe him. We see that he is one who is upright, that is, he is morally righteous. He is blameless in that there is no category of life in which he was severely deficient in character flaws. He was a man who feared God. He was possessed of reverence. And he was one that was good and wise because he turned away from evil. We're reminded that life and character is built in the order phase. When we see life when it's going well, there may be some moments where we're going to encounter some uh, anxieties, there's going to be some problems, there's going to be some difficulties, some irritations and frustrations, but on the whole, they're manageable. That's the order phase of life. When we examine who Job is in the order phase, we observe and see some things about him. 
Who was Job before the suffering began? He was a man of great faith. You just read that as Eli read it so well to us a moment ago in Job chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. But he was also a man blessed with children, ten of them. Job chapter 1 and verse 2. He is a man who has great prosperity and wealth, perhaps in his day unparalleled. Job chapter 2, verse 5 through verse 7. And he is a man who is uh, considered of great material prosperity. Job chapter 1 and verse 3. And what that means is that Job was a man who had something to lose. Job had something to lose spiritually. He had something to lose emotionally. He had something to lose physically. And he had something to lose financially. But when we're first introduced to him in the very first few verses of the verse, we find him perched securely behind his hedge and God is protecting him and all that he has. And I want us to look at our own lives and see how that despite the fact that difficulties are inevitably going to come, that's where we spend most of our lives. God has hedged us in. He has blessed us so much on every side. And while difficulties may come, we are admonished by the example of Job to be building our character in the order phase because how we respond to the suffering is being built by who we are and who we're trying to be before the suffering comes. And so the first phase in this cycle is the order phase, but then very quickly we get to the second phase. And the second phase is what we could call the encounter phase. Job, his peace is shattered. It's shattered by a series of spokesmen that come in the middle of chapter 1. And it's like a tidal wave that overlaps and it beats down on Job. You have one messenger speaking of his enormous loss and only this messenger has escaped to tell him. And even while he's speaking, someone else comes along and brings and bears even more bad news. And by the time this is done... Job sees that his emotional well-being and his financial well-being has been shattered. When we get to the next chapter of our study, we see he's about to also lose his physical health and uh, uh, strength. And so when you look at Job now, with all those things stripped away, all that he has is his faith. And he finds himself in a mortal battle against this pain and struggle that he's in. And the wounds in this battle are kept open partially because of the misinformation, the misguided counsel and conclusions of his friends, but it is also perpetuated by his own doubt, his own confusion, and his own struggles. He is hanging on to his faith. He is refining, he is trying to determine if what it was that he believed before the trials is what he still believes. And something that's a little bit disturbing as we look at the incident of Job is this goes on for a while. As Job is hanging on to his faith, he sees how this trial doesn't seem to have an end anytime soon. You go, for example, to Job chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 10, and you see Job has absolutely no spousal support. The advice she is giving him is to just curse God and die. Job speaks a lot about it in Job chapter 7. He says, I spend my days without hope. I spend my nights mourning until the dawn. I have months of darkness and full of trouble. Job chapter 7 verse 3 through verse 6. And Job feels like God has turned against him. Job chapter 12 and verse 4. And so this goes on and on and he feels all alone in the midst of this. 
as Job considers all the relationships in his life. He says, my brothers are estranged from me. My acquaintances are far away from me. My relatives have failed me. And my friends are so far from me. He says, I am to those who are in my house and my maids. I am as a foreigner. I am a stranger to them. He says, I call to my servant and he does not answer. I implore with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I'm loathsome to my brothers. My relatives are estranged. And my acquaintances do not know me. Even little children speak against me. I rise up and they rail against me. My relatives abhor me and those I love turn against me. Job chapter 19 verse 13 through 19. So here is Job in the midst of his struggles in this titanium struggle against all that is going on in his life. We're reminded that we're going to face so many different types of trials. And you know there's some broad categories into which our trials may fall. All of us are going to go through in these general categories these same things. It may be the loss of a job. It may be the death of a loved one. It could be a a permanent change in our physical condition, our health, through some illness. But even in the midst of that, there are differing degrees so that you're going through something more intense than I am. But what determines the severity sometimes is not just the impact of the trial itself, but the character that we have developed in that time. And so as we look at Job, he is a man who goes from order to encountering the invariable truth of suffering in his life. He's struggling. He's encountered it. But it doesn't end with the encounter. What's so impressive about this is that Job makes some discoveries As Job goes through this lengthy trial, he makes some discoveries about his friends, who they are and what they're like. He he, he makes discoveries about his enemies, but he also makes some discoveries about his own faith and his own character. And while it may seem unlikely that this is the case, as Job goes through these difficulties and these trials, it is actually an ultimate benefit that you make some discoveries When you're struggling through life. Now we could probably mention way more than this. But I want us to see three discoveries that Job made in this discover phase of his trials and his problems. The first thing he discovered was that his worldview was distorted. I don't think that it's a stretch to say that Job probably held to a similar philosophy of life that his friends did. After his suffering is exposed and they look at his life. Those who study this call it the the doctrine of retribution. And that's the idea that a righteous God will bless the righteous with rewards and will punish the wicked with calamity. It seems that Job holds to a byproduct of this view in Job chapter 35 verse 3 through verse 8 when he wonders why since he's living righteously he's not prospering and he's not being blessed. But Job in the midst of his struggle has his worldview, this idea that God always blesses the righteous and God always punishes the wicked, he sees that that's wrong for at least two reasons. He sees that it's wrong because, first of all, he comes to understand that you can be righteous and God in His sovereignty allows you to suffer even without a cause. And that while sometimes sin may be behind the struggling that we go through, it's not always the case. 
And Job would even contend to his friends that there are those who are living wickedly and they prosper. So as Job is going through this lengthy trial, this difficulty, he discovers that first of all what he used to think about God and the relationship of suffering and sin is not what he originally thought that it was. He makes another discovery and that is that his motives were tested. When you're in the midst of going through some difficulty or a trouble, you begin to ask a fundamental question, or at least it's something we should do, and that is, why is God to be served? Is God to be served because of the blessings that He brings into my life, or is God to be served simply because of who He is? If God never blessed us with a single blessing, should we worship Him? Should we adore Him? You know, so often in life, If we're not careful, this is a discovery that needs to be made that we need to serve God simply because of His nature and because of His character. I read about the biography of Franklin Pierce. and I don't know if you know about the situation of their life. Franklin and Jane Pierce had three sons. And that first son died just a few days after his birth. They had another son and he contracted typhoid fever. And that son died at the age of four. And then two months before his inauguration as President of the United States, the Pierces were in a train wreck in which they lost their remaining son, an 11-year-old boy. In fact, Jane Pierce witnessed that last son being crushed to death. She became a recluse. And she had drawn the conclusion that this was the price that was to be paid by her husband because of his political ambitions, that God took this last child from her because her husband had accepted the presidency. And for his part, Franklin Pierce would not put his hand on the Bible when he was sworn into office because, as he said, he no longer believed in the goodness of God. Now listen, I can't imagine going through something like that. I feel a little bit personal about that. We have three sons. I can't imagine losing one. But to lose all three, and that by the age of 11, how would it impact your faith? How did it did for him, for Franklin, was he no longer believed, not necessarily that God exists, but he did not believe that God was good anymore. When I look at Job in the midst of his unprecedented suffering among humanity, What I see is a person who lost everything, not only his children, all ten of them in the same day, but he lost everything that he had suddenly and severely. And how did Job on the other side of that react to it? He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is a discovery that Job made in the midst of his struggle. That God is to be worshipped and adored simply because of who He is and not what He gives. But He also, as attached to that, has His God view refined. Now let me remind you that Job was worshipping God before the suffering came. There's no doubt that he had a faith in God. And I don't want to overplay the difference between belief and trust But I can believe something to be so, but when that's put to a severe test, I've got to trust that that belief is going to hold up. When he's in that order phase of life and the prosperity continues to go, he is one who can hang on to this belief in God's goodness, but now it's really put to the test. In fact, Satan in Job chapter 1 verse 9 through 11 
says as much. That if you take away everything from Him, He's going to surely curse you to your face. He, he did not believe that man could serve God unselfishly apart from the blessings that He gives. Here's Job who is the object of ridicule and accusation. And he handles that, I think, in a way that we would hope to be able to handle it. But his indignation grows and he really wants God to give an account for himself. And then God, in the climax of the book, comes and bombards him with questions about his power and his greatness until Job is humbled into silence. And then in Job 42 and verse 5, he says, I have heard of you with the hearing of the ears, but now my eye has seen you. I think it's interesting that God never answers Job's question of why. And yet Job never contemplated for a moment that it was the devil that was behind this and not God himself. But Job is able to discover through this trial the goodness and the greatness of God despite the struggle that he's in. Then there's the fourth phase that we see in this cycle of suffering, and that's the phase of recovery. You know, as the trials and the problems come, they are going to go eventually. And as Job is coming to the end of this, we see that he has that spiritual equipment that helps him to recover. When we go through the trial of our faith, we're going to find our faith in some condition on the other side of it. But what can we learn as we're recovering? The first thing Job teaches us is that we need to face the pain. So often when we're struggling, what we try to do is we try to run away from it. We try to bury our head in the sand and we think if we don't look at this problem, then maybe it'll disappear. Or maybe we withdraw into ourselves and we isolate ourselves from others. I find it remarkable that Job faces his pain. No fewer than 19 times in the book of Job, Job asks God why. He doesn't pretend that he's not hurting. And when I'm struggling to recover from my pain, I need to face it. But I also may need to forgive where it's necessary. You know, Job has friends whose counsel is so bad that Job has got to pray for them in order for them to be able to survive. And so the Bible says in Job 42 and verse 10 that the Lord restored Job's fortunes when he prayed for his friends. As I look at Job as he's striving to recover, he's done nothing to these friends. He's done nothing that we can see in the text to bring this into his life. And yet there are those around him who have failed him and fallen short of him. I submit to you that when we're struggling, there are going to be some who do not respond as they should. There are going to be those that hurt us. And throughout our life, we're going to face that prospect. But what we've got to do is what Job did. We've got to go on their behalf, those who have failed us. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 12, that we should pray, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And if we don't forgive men their trespasses, our Heavenly Father will not us, Matthew 6 and verse 14. And so as we're recovering, we need to realize that there may be some that we need to forgive. And in addition to that, we need to focus on faith's fundamentals. When you look at Job's life, he has had everything taken away from him. What he is left with is his faith and his trust in God. When it's all stripped away, we see who we are spiritually. One of the hardest visits that I ever had to make was to a man named James Frederick Hindley. James Hindley was a godly man. He was a faithful Christian. He was a regular adult Bible class teacher. He would fill in and preach uh, on occasions. 
He was physically fit and active, and he and his wife had just hiked in the mountains of West Virginia. He developed a severe headache, and he went to the emergency room. And as he was there, they diagnosed him with a severe migraine and sent him home with a a heavy dosage of ibuprofen. What was actually happening was that he was suffering a brainstem aneurysm. He barely got away with his life, and yet as the result of this aneurysm, he was a paraplegic for the rest of his life. For the next ten years, he would spend every moment of every day with a ventilator. He was laying in the VA hospital in Richmond, Virginia. As I said, it was one of the hardest visits I ever had to make. It was difficult to go into the man's room because I went in as a young man with my health, all well with me, and here's a godly Christian man who was laying a paraplegic, never to be able to move again, never to be able to speak again. And so as I went to his bedside, I would try to find what words do you say. First of all, you can't communicate. What do you say to somebody who in the prime of life is laying there? Every time I was able to communicate with him, I would try to ask questions and he would answer. I always found a smile on his face. I always saw a winsome spirit. I saw one who appreciated prayer and who seemed to emanate faith. When it's all stripped away from us and we look at the essential of what life is, we need to focus on the fundamentals. And that is God and His goodness, God and His mercy, and God and His promises. The fifth phase is the order phase. You know, even the waters that brought the global flood ultimately ceased in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 3. And the trials of Job, as great as they are, they go away at some point. Now some uh, have the, the blessing of Job to be able to see that in this life, but some, it takes passing from this life to the next to see that their faith was not in vain. But order will come. And the thing for us to keep in mind is that when the order returns to our life, our faith is either going to be stronger or it's going to be decimated. We've got to remember that faith is being built in this part of our lives. The Apostle Paul encourages us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 when he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That seems to be the case with Job. And it's also the case with us. What makes the difference is what we discover about our own faith and about God. As a child of God, I realize that my problems, and I'm going to have them, have no permanent hold over me. That while I'm having difficulties in this life, and they may be severe in their nature, and they may be terminal in their duration, that I'm going to bury it in the grave. And I'm also convinced in what I see in God throughout the order phase of life that His love, nothing can separate me from it. As a child of God, I know that I'm going to have problems, but I won't have them beyond this life. And yet, if I'm not a child of God, I'm still going to have problems. But I'll have my largest problem yet unresolved. God gives us Job as an example to show us that life is going to have its ups and its downs. And as we struggle through those things, What we need more than anything is a living faith and God's ability to help us through it. This morning, if you're trying to face this without Christ, 
covering you and your sins, we want to encourage you to respond to His great grace in a faith that Jesus is God's Son, repenting of sins and being baptized to have those sins washed away. And if you're a child of God and you let the troubles of this earth to shake your faith and to move you away from God, that He longs for you to come back to Him, He will demonstrate, as He has in the past, His goodness in encouraging your life. If this morning you need to respond to heaven's invitation, we're going to sing a song to encourage you. We would invite you to come right now as we stand and sing.